Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And welcome in Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, February 24th, the year of our Lord, 2022 jam-packed, high atop, dreary downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, essentially, to what will serve as a 45-minute escape from reality and what all of us call the real world right now. Hey, I can give you a little spoiler alert. You don't have to wait to the end of the show. We will not be wading into geopolitical waters tonight. We're going to stick to what we at least somewhat reasonably have a grasp on, and that is college football. So if you want to block it all out, just hang out with us. We appreciate you being here. We have got a bunch of new coaching staffs out there, coast to coast, and we're going to rank them. And we do that normally once everything's settled down. So fingers crossed, no one's making a late season staff move. We're going to rank some of these staffs. I put a poll up no more than two hours ago. I put a Twitter poll up and I made the, the, the crucial mistake of just listing three candidates. I wanted to know, hey, uh, which of these do you think was the best hire this cycle? Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier is the most popular person in that thread right now, and I didn't even list him. That's on me. That's my bad. I could have put a fourth option, and I didn't. Anyway, we're going to circle back to that in just a second. We got the Auburn Mood Tracker tonight. Another spoiler alert, there will be a Shawshank Redemption quote read on the program tonight, and it will deal with Auburn athletics. I've been looking forward to this show for quite a while. Finally, it's time for us to put a cap on the Renaissance season and the Renaissance Tour from 2021, and we're going to do it by crowning our iJosh video of the year. As you know, when I went to games, we were on the road 16 weeks in a row. I had the trusty iJosh in tow for every single trip, and we got some amazing footage. And if you've forgotten about it, Director Collins got them all in there ready to punch them up one by one tonight. We have 11 finalists, and we're going to run through them all. Don't worry if you're listening on podcast. Uh, it will translate seamlessly. It, if I do a half-decent job of describing it to you. And then I'm going to tell you the winner because you chose the winner over the past 24 hours. All that, plus we're going to hit some Arizona State. We're going to hit some LSU. We've got a lot to get to. Be sure you're following on the social channels, at Late Kick Josh. I told you two shows ago, I want your feedback. Do you want us to do some Twitter space activity, and when do you want it? I've gotten hundreds of responses to that, potentially thousands, easily hundreds. I'm getting ready to announce something on that. It's going to be informal. But I'm getting ready to announce something on that because, uh, look, there are a lot of people on here talking about everything from fashion to World War III. Why don't we just talk about some college football um, at various times during the week? So I'll have more on that for you directly. Just stay tuned. Let's dive right into the show tonight. Appreciate you guys being tuned in as always. Got a lot of new coaching staffs out there. So naturally, we got to rank them before they've ever coached a spring practice. Now, what I want to remind you of when we rank coaching staffs around here not just ranking the head coach, although it is primarily about the head coach, but when we're ranking them, it's not all apples to apples. If I were to compare uh, Brent Venables at Oklahoma to Mike Elko at Duke, for example, I'm not going to expect one to match the other in an apples to apples resume comparison because one's got more resources than the other. But as you're watching, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a whole list on the side of your screen about new coaches in new places. So you quickly look down that staff list there how would you rank these using these two bullet points? 
I want to know their capability and I want to know the impact. And we obviously factor in expectation level here, but I want to know the impact. So here's where I went. This is very fluid. I reserve the right to change this after, this after spring. The number five new hire for me, we start in Oklahoma. It's Brent Venables. A lot of synergy here. If you've heard me talk about Arkansas, you've heard me credit the synergy that the program had under Sam Pittman, has under Sam Pittman. Well, the reason I mentioned Arkansas, because it feels to me like when I've listened to Brent Venables and I've sort of felt the early vibe out of Norman, doesn't it feel to you a little bit like Brent Venables in Oklahoma have some of that Sam Pittman, Arkansas type juice going on? I, don't, I can't explain it. That's why I use the word synergy. It's very intangible in nature. Can't hold it in your hand. Can't quantify it. it, it calculator will not spit that out to you. But it just feels like from the moment that Brent Venables arrived in town, everyone looked and said, yeah, yeah, he feels like Oklahoma. That's a very good thing. Because that's what they were looking for. They being Oklahoma had a guy leave in the middle of the night. Didn't see it coming until it was too late. And so they wanted someone who knows Oklahoma. But that's only part of the equation. They got to have someone who loves Oklahoma too. And Brent Venables, I think it's very clear, checks both of those boxes. So he feels like Oklahoma. I'm very sure he loves Oklahoma. He knows Oklahoma intimately. He'd been out there for a while. He went and perfected his craft at Clemson and became one of the most sought-after coaching minds and coordinators in America. And now here he comes and he gets an opportunity here. It's not the first opportunity. It's just the first one he took. Very important to note. This wasn't a guy that was reaching just one last gasp effort to try and become a head coach. He had his pick. He turned down several big-time jobs, which makes it all the more important to note Oklahoma's the one he selected. It wasn't just a meeting in the dark. He selected Oklahoma. There's a big difference, though, and the reason he's only at five, I say only in quotation marks, the reason that I put Brent Venables as the fifth biggest hire on the old power ranking scale is for the standard reason why I keep an eye on any first-time head coach, and that is the key difference that exists when you move from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. Some guys do it seamlessly. Some guys realize this is not for me. And so I don't really care about his age. I don't really care about any of that. I only care about what it takes to be a head coach. And it's the added burden of responsibility. And you just never know until you know. I know Oklahoma folks are very confident. I'm confident in him. He wouldn't be on this list if he wasn't. But it's a common hesitation that I have. When you look at his resume, though, there's a lot of time at Oklahoma. I mean, from 99 to 2011, he was out there. So he knows it intimately. He knows what works out there. Brent Venables at Oklahoma, that's number five. Now, here's where I know it's going to get a little controversial, but I'm just going to throw it out there and we'll adjust on the fly as we need to down the road. I got Billy Napier at Florida as the number four hire here. Obviously, a lot of the feedback I've gotten this afternoon would indicate that a lot of our viewing audience and listening audience will disagree and they'll want him to be higher. This is very lofty. So let's break down Billy Napier at Florida right now. Um, I think a lot of people are mischaracterizing Billy Napier at Florida. I think a lot of folks are looking at Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, Brent Venables at Oklahoma, and they're just kind of throwing Billy Napier in there. And those are not the same. But they're thinking about Napier almost like a coordinator. The, a conversation that I've heard a lot of people have, they talk about him as if he's some unproven commodity, like we got to wait and see how he does as a head coach. Dude, he was 40 and 12 in four seasons at Louisiana. You know how he does as a head coach. Then you get the pushback that I never buy into, and that is, well, he hasn't done it at this level yet. At this level is all relative. They used to say the same thing about Chris Peterson. 
when he was at Boise. Yeah, he wins in Idaho, but he'd never do that in fill-in-the-blank conference. Well, when you say that, you've also got to acknowledge that if that coach ever came to your conference, he would have that conference's resources. And so Billy Napier killed it at Louisiana. And by the way, when you talk to anyone behind the scenes, the two attributes that they always pointed out about Napier is he is a very, very good developer, but he's also a very good evaluator of talent. They didn't whiff a whole lot. When you translate that skill set and a proven commodity, formula works, when you translate it to a bigger job, he gets bigger resources. And so it stands to reason the formula to win is the same. You just have to inject a little bit more in terms of resource into it the higher up the ladder you climb. But it's a very competitive league. Hey, Billy Napier put together a very competitive staff already, including inventing some new roles that we've never heard of before. But look, he has, and I want you to very, pay close attention to this because this is important at Florida. You've always heard it said, everyone wants to win, but Florida's got a way they want to win. Well, a lot of that's true. And the good news for Florida fans is Billy Napier kind of gets that. He views the program the same way the fan base does. He has the same energy they do. He views it through the same prism they do. The recruiting approach, I can guarantee you, is a lot more in line with what Florida fans would want than the previous regime. And he's not chasing monsters in Florida right now. Mario Cristobal's at Miami, but Mario just got to Miami. Mike Norvell and Florida State, they're not locking down top five classes right now. So it's very much a remains-to-be-seen type deal in Tallahassee. And that's good news if you're Billy Napier. There isn't a Nick Saban or Kirby Smart type entity in the state of Florida right now. Their task is to flip the script when it comes to in-state recruiting. And it's very early on, so it's still kind of, it's, the jury's kind of out on that. But at the very least, he feels, and he, he kind of carries himself the way Florida fans want their coach carrying himself. It's not like recruiting's an afterthought. It's going to be an everyday-a-year type deal. Let's, uh, let's move on here and let's go to number three. This got really controversial, so I, I want to hit the reset button here for just a second. So earlier today, and I want to get a very, very updated number here to share with you. We're recording, well, we're actually live, but it is uh, 7.09 p.m. Central Time Thursday night right now. I put this poll up two hours ago, and I asked, out of Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley and Mario Cristobal, what is the best hire of this cycle so far? We've got uh, nearly 13,000 votes in the last two hours, and right now Cristobal leads the way with 43%. Lincoln Riley's second at 39%. Brian Kelly's third at around 17%. As far as my list goes, I do have Brian Kelly third. This is one, though, that I feel like I have the widest margin for error on, because it's certainly not going to be shocking to me if we look back on this segment in three years and he ends up being the top choice. So I'm going to tell you why I have him at three. First, I'm going to tell you what I don't have. I have zero question about his blueprint. The whole fit, the question of whether he'll fit there, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, that's laughable to me. I dismiss that entirely. I have no question about Brian Kelly as a football coach, as a football mind. I have no question about how he organizes an entire, not athletic department, but certainly a football program. I have no doubt about his approach to the game. None of that. Okay, so that's good news. That's out of the way. He's proven. We don't have to worry about that. This is a guy who played for national title in 2012. He played in the playoffs two more times at Notre Dame. A lot of you looked at that and said, yeah, but he didn't win anything and thought that was underachieving. I looked at it and said, it's overachieving that he was there to begin with. What stopped him? What stopped him from trans translating those appearances to championship wins? It's very obvious. Comparable talent level. 
So anyone with even a novice eye could tell that. Well, that is why he's at number three right now. Not because of what he didn't accomplish at Notre Dame. The tell on Brian Kelly and what will ultimately determine this is the caliber they recruit at. They cannot get by on just recruiting pretty good. They know that. He knows that. This is not breaking news to anyone down there. He's put together a pretty interesting staff. And he's put together a really good mix of some SEC experience, but also some pro experience. Uh, they had, I thought, a pretty good finish for their first signing class, uh, signing day about a month ago now, I guess, at this point. But what keeps him from number one right now is my inability to know whether they're going to recruit at a really good level or at an elite level. And we say that knowing full well that they got to go against Alabama every year, Texas A&M every year. They got to go against Florida every year. That's their cross-conference rival. And that is the only part, and I mean the only part about Brian Kelly that remains to be seen for me. Now, we got a question again, like I said a little bit later in the show, about how they've carried themselves so far down there. Well, there is some some reason to feel very optimistic about LSU recruiting. Again, very, very early. But they've, they've put together a staff down there that they feel like is equipped to do a couple of things. And that's number one, retool that roster. There's significant work to be done there. This is not just an automatic plug and play. You know, it's not start from scratch, but it's certainly not plug and play. And number two, they feel like they can do that, but they can also recruit very, very well. And I'm interested to see it because if they do, you know, if they take care of that second part and all the other parts are out of the way, I have no question about that. This is going to end up being your number one candidate on this list. And that's even if the other two pan out because there's limitless potential for Brian Kelly at LSU. Limitless potential. This could be the top program in the country. Limitless potential. Moving to number two. Uh, So this is where I differ from our poll. This is splitting hairs at this point. I put Mario Cristobal at Miami as the number two hire. Impact is factored heavily here. Remember the criteria. We're looking at capability and we're looking at impact. This was a hugely impactful hire, not only for Miami, but for college football. The two itches that Miami has long tried to scratch have been nostalgia and desperation. It's all you ever heard over the past 20 or so years when people talked about Miami, they talked about the U, they talked about the documentaries on ESPN and talked about the 80s and 90s. And then they talked about how they'd love to get back there, but they never really scratched those itches until now. And I think it took one of their own being successful on the national stage and then available and willing to come home, not only for them to scratch those itches, but also for the big money types down there that previously had sat on their wallet, they talked, but they didn't spend to finally say, okay, if we can get him, you got us. What do you need from us? And that's an entire dynamic shift in South Florida. That's what's happening down there right now. That's why everyone's so excited. It's not just that Mario Cristobal's here. It's that he's here and we know what it means. And that whole what it means, you don't have to see it right now. You know, down in South Florida, they know it's, it's not like we're going to win a national championship this year, but there are going to be pieces that we are acquiring from the high school ranks and maybe even the portal to some extent that are going to help us contend for that down the road. But look at, look at what he walked into. Look at the entire situation at Miami right now. This is what I mean by impact. Not only did they get a guy who's one of their own, but also he walks in, the ACC's wide open, um, you know, NIL is here, which should greatly impact Miami, disproportionately positively impact Miami. Big money folks are stepping up and also, I view Miami as one of the top transfer portal destinations in the country. Firstly, because it's just easy to attract anyone to South Florida. But really, if you think about the portal any given year, 
you could have some talent that left South Florida and went anywhere from Alabama to Texas or anywhere in between that gets back in the portal. Well, the default is you want to go closer to home. That's the first thing they're going to think. So think about the kids who Miami may not even grab on the first try that end up wanting to come back home. South Florida is a really good place to be parked in the NIL transfer portal era. So Mario Cristobal at Miami there, number two. That leaves only one. And uh, let's see, Lincoln Riley narrowly finished second in our poll earlier today, but he's my number one hire of this cycle. Lincoln Riley at USC. What part of the hire is not a grand slam? You can convince me the other ones are a big deal, but in every department, this is a grand slam hire. And it establishes a track record now that you haven't had at head coach. You had a guy who could sell hope, but you have not had for quite a while a guy in the head coaching position at USC that could tell you, I've already done it. I've already won on the highest levels. My approach works and it's already proven because I can point it out to you. They've got that now. So they got that. It's proven. It's a commodity that's already proven. Uh, They also, they're able to be positioned in the weakest Power Five conference right now. Let's call it what it is in college football. So they could rapidly ascend to the top of the totem pole out west. They can leverage NIL by simply using their backyard because they're parked in Los Angeles. What part of this is not a grand slam? And also, specifically, think about the quarterback talent that's left South Florida. Think about the quarterback talent he has coached, he being Lincoln Riley. You would have to really struggle. It, It would take some mental gymnastics to me to not call that the biggest and easily the most impactful hire of this last cycle. So one to five. I went Lincoln Riley at USC, Mario Cristobal at Miami. Brian Kelly at LSU, Napier at Florida, and I went Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Now, let me tell you four names that just missed out here among several. Mike Elko at Duke is one that's off your radar. I know you're not paying attention to it. Mike Elko is probably pretty uniquely built to win at Duke. Mind you, not the ACC, but to win at Duke a little bit higher than maybe the expectation level. There's a guy, Troy, just hired named John Summerall. A lot of folks, myself included, thought he may get a shot last cycle. Watch him at Troy. John Summerall. Don't think he'll be down there long. Think his name's going to pop on the national radar uh, before too much longer. Marcus Freeman, obviously, at Notre Dame. And uh, Dan Lanning at Oregon. You know, Lanning at Oregon is interesting right now because there there's two differing schools of thought out there. I talked about this on the Late Kick Extra podcast the other day, so I won't spend much time on it. But there are some people wondering... Is it really as easy as just plugging and moving right along with the way Mario Cristobal is doing it? Because you see, conventional wisdom would tell you Oregon is not a major recruiter. Oregon, based on your map of the United States and where all the talent is and where Oregon is, Oregon should be a developmental program. That should be the place where they have to take backup options and develop them. Well, they haven't been that. Oregon has been the exception to the rule. Oregon has been parked in the Pacific Northwest, but they've attracted elite talent they are going to try and continue that with Dan Lanning and the staff. He's put together a great staff of recruiters. So for that reason, he's, he's on the list here in the top 10. But those are some of the big hires. And now we get towards spring practice, and we finally get to see guys with their teams for the first time. And they get to see their teams for the first time. And then we get to have spring games, and then come out of those spring games and look at the transfer portal. And there'll be all kinds of last-ditch efforts in the transfer portal. I was looking outside today. It's atrocious in Nashville. I'm told the sun will arrive sometime um, by May. 
But I got to make a purchase. So I sit here and talk to you about Academy Sports and Outdoors, and it's time for me to join you. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest ethical dilemmas I had over the season was I had that entire stash of Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards that the company sent me to give to you. Well, the thing about it is no one loves free stuff more than me. I once walked out of the Superdome after Clemson played LSU in the national championship game with an entire case of water under my arm because it was, giving, it was being given to the media for free. And I didn't feel like stopping at the gas station. That's how much I love free stuff. Anyway, do you know how hard it was for me to sit on those gift cards all year and not spend one? But I, I am here to tell you, I'm happy to report I did not use a single one of those gift cards on myself. I'm telling you that because that trend may be about to change, unethical though it may be, because I got to buy a bike. There are a lot of bike trails around Nashville. I got to take advantage of them. Colin, Jesse, you can come riding with me if you want to, but I got to buy a bike. No better place to go than Academy Sports and Outdoors. As I told you the other night, we are efforting getting ourselves on a softball team around here. I got a glove. I don't know about Jesse. He's going to try and play too. Academy Sports and Outdoors, best place for that. And if you do not have an Academy Sports and Outdoors in your backyard or in your town or within driving distance, academy.com is your hookup. But before you just think that you're going to be relegated to academy.com, I do want to point out that one of you the other morning, I retweeted this, sent me a picture from a parking lot of Academy Sports and Outdoors. And the caption was, I flew all the way from Seattle for this. I don't know which city it was. That was not prompted by us. It never is. That's just the loyalty of our audience. So, hey, if you got some frequent flyer miles that you want to trade in, you don't have any friends or family you feel like going to see, I don't know, just, just hop a plane to the nearest city with an Academy Sports and Outdoors. Just make a day of it. But yes, wherever you go and whatever you need, Academy Sports and Outdoors, they're here to hook you up and they're always here to hook us up. And we thank them and we thank you for shopping with them. The Mood Tracker rolls on. I appreciate all you guys being tuned in live, by the way. So the Mood Tracker rolls on. The Mood Tracker, before we actually dive in, a quick reminder, because I forget to do this every now and then. The Mood Tracker is us taking a thermometer and placing it in the fan base and finding out how the fan base feels. Not what preview magazines are going to tell you, what the actual fan base is feeling. It is Auburn Mood Tracker time tonight. Now I have a quote, and it's going to be followed with the overall mood of Auburn. You tell me where this quote comes from. <clears throat> I wish I could tell you Andy fought the good fight and the sisters let him be. I wish I could tell you that, but prison is no fairy tale world. That, of course, is Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption. But I took the liberty, the creative liberty, of replacing a few words because I realized if I change three words here, this perfectly summarizes the fan mood right now at Auburn. Here's how we're going to reword this. I wish I could tell you fans fought the good fight and the boosters left the program B. I wish I could tell you that, but Auburn is no fairy tale world. And with that, we present the current Auburn mood tracker, seeking escape. Not escape from Auburn. This is where you got to dive into the weeds a little bit and you got to understand Auburn, Alabama. Very unique place. I grew up very, very close, so I feel uniquely equipped to explain Auburn to you people. Auburn fans do not want to escape Auburn far from it. They love Auburn. They love everything about Auburn. They love the spirit there. They love the town itself. It's like a postcard. A few more chain restaurants popping up as of late than I would like, but it's like a postcard if you're on the right parts of campus. They love the traditions. They love the community. They love the values. Everything about that they love. What Auburn fans and folks get really tired of is having to look around every corner waiting for the self-sabotage hammer to drop. It's one thing if you're having to punch out constantly. 
If you're having to fight outside forces, that's life. You know, and especially in, in high-level college football, that's the game. So if you're trying to fight Bama or Georgia or LSU or A&M, we expect that. What we don't expect is we don't expect to have to fight our own. And yet at Auburn, it's been a constant, and it's not new. And of course, what I'm talking about, if you've been checked out for the last month or so, uh, these folks, when I say these folks, I mean a small minority of powerful people around Auburn are now 0 for 2 over the past year and a half of trying to make sure Brian Harson is not their coach, uh, much to the chagrin of the general Auburn family, who, even though they may not be crazy about Harson's first year, they're just so tired of a few people having a death grip on the steering wheel of Auburn football and not being willing to let go, even though they themselves have no clue where they're headed. They don't have GPS. They don't know they're out in the middle of Wichita and they're not from the Midwest, but yet they're just driving around anyway aimlessly. Well, that's kind of the feeling. If you've been an Auburn fan, you're watching folks with no clue how to run a football program, but they got deep pockets and so they can reach the wheel and they won't let go of the wheel. And they're driving a car that you love. It's not a rental. You're not leasing it. It's not a test drive. It's yours. They have their hands on the wheel of Auburn and Auburn belongs to you, you would think, just as much as them. This has always been a feeling around this program. Long before Brian Harson came along, I will say long after he's gone, but I hope it's not the case for their sake. But there's always been a feeling, you know, and if, if you've been close to the program, again, and you've, you've been a, around the folks, there's always been a feeling around Auburn that if they could just channel the passion that everyone has for that program into a laser beam that points in the same direction, it would be a powerhouse athletic department. And I don't think they're wrong about that. Problem being, they have never been able for a sustained period of time to channel all that passion. Because make no mistake about it, even the folks that have been detrimental in their approach to Auburn athletics, they love Auburn, they love themselves, but they love Auburn too. I mean, if you ask them what their goal is, their goal is for that team to win on Saturdays just as much as, uh, you know, Sal from Sylacauga. Shout out Highway 280. But the way they go about it's different. You know, the prism with which they view the athletic department, the program, it's just a little bit different. And so here we are today. We're in spring now. We're approaching spring, at least, of 2022. The good news, as I said, is those folks who have tried to hijack the program, they're 0 for 2 in their two most recent attempts. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We have no clue what the future holds for Brian Harson and his staff because a million questions still remain. We're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's why I tried to frame it the right way when all that drama was going on earlier this month. It wasn't that everyone was pro-Harson. It was just that they were anti-Jabba, you know, Jabba, as they call it, just Auburn being Auburn. They're, they're anti-that. They're anti those forces punching in on Auburn and working against themselves. And so now you got staffers they had to replace. They had some guys leave via the portal. They did not recruit a very good class on paper. I want to stress that because you don't really know what a class consists of until it's a few years into um, you know, being on campus and going through your strength and conditioning. So I'll grant you that. It doesn't feel like this is a rocket ship, uh, but at least they're going to get a chance. So we're going to go into spring now. At least they'll get a chance. But a million questions still remain there. And Auburn folks all the while are just sitting around wishing for nothing more than just an escape from what the norm has been. Because their belief is if we could just compete on equal footing and have all the passion directed in the same, you know, the same effort, we'd be really good. We'd be okay. And I agree with them. I think they would be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now comes the time where I've been, uh, I've been looking forward to this for, well, what, since August, I guess, or September. The first game, I think, was early September. The Renaissance season, as we called the 2021 season, brought about the Renaissance Tour. We thought it was going to be a Renaissance season for college football because we thought a lot of what we missed about the game was going to return. And we were on the road. Late kick was on the road every single week. And we ended up, I think, 16 weeks in a row, if you count the signing day shows and whatnot that we did, too. So if you're watching on YouTube, there's a brief list up right now of all the games that we were at. And we went all across the country, traversed the entire country. Only thing we didn't get to do is we did not ever have a valid reason to go to the West Coast because there were no high-profile games on uh, the Pacific Coast, and that, that includes Mountain West, that includes Pac-12. So we didn't get to check that box, but every other box we got to check. Think about the games we were at, even week three. You know, Auburn versus Penn State doesn't stand out to you now, but it certainly did at the time. It was a whiteout, and it was, it was a, all the world was at Penn State's fingertips. That Arkansas A&M game in Dallas was a classic. OU Texas may be the best regular season game I saw. The good thing about college football is you get to the end of the year and you don't look at Texas as being anything special. But when I saw him in week six against OU in Dallas, that was the Red River shootout game, firstly. And I'd never seen one in person. And secondly, Texas was just a one-loss team. So they still had all their goals still in front of them. We got later in the season, went to Michigan State, saw them take down Michigan. Went to Michigan, saw them take down Ohio State. Uh, There were some big moments. I think we had four field stormings that we witnessed this year. So anyway, what I was doing all the while was I had the iJosh on me, a knockoff brand of the iPhone, of course. And I always try and shoot you guys as much footage as I can. If you follow me on Instagram and you're looking on Saturdays, you see I probably put anywhere between 20 and 40 pictures or videos behind the scenes up from the game I'm at. Well, out of those videos, there were some that really stood out even as we got to the end of the year. And so what I did over about the past month and a half is on Twitter, I've been putting up the iJosh Video of the Year nominees, and we whittled it down to, I think, a final 11, and I had you guys vote on it last night. I put them up. I said, we're doing this thing tonight. We're going to announce the iJosh Video of the Year winner, and we're going by votes. And we already had a good idea based on the traction these videos got. But what I wanted to do for the crowd here who hasn't seen the videos is let's just run through them. And I know some of you are listening on podcast. I'll describe what we're seeing here. But where we start, we're going to go chronologically. Where we started was September 4th. This was Georgia versus Clemson. This was the start of the season. It was in Charlotte. I was worried it was going to be 110 degrees. It really wasn't. And that was a defensive slugfest. Georgia ends up winning that thing, I think, 10 to 3. This is Kirby Smart afterwards. Now, what's noteworthy 
is he's running around, he's celebrating, he's waving that visor around, standing up on the bleachers. What we didn't know at the time was he was going to end the season the exact same way he started the season, running around like a maniac, waving that visor in the air and celebrating. And by the way, watch, if you're watching on YouTube, you follow him into the tunnel. He's hugging a player right now. Who's that waiting for him? Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner waiting on him there. And then a lot of uh, friends that I've made along the way in the world of media standing behind him. This is always fun to be able to see that post-game scene. So that was Kirby Smart. That was week one. Two weeks later, we are on the road in a place that I had never been able to go before. I had never been to a Penn State game, and this was the whiteout. This is Beaver Stadium at night. Auburn's in town. This is September 18th. This is as close to a pro wrestling entrance existing in college football, maybe this side of Lane Stadium in Virginia Tech as it gets. Uh, the pregame production staff and the in-game production staff at Penn State, they do a phenomenal job not only of making sure that they're creating an event, they're creating a spectacle, but what I love so much about my experience in Beaver Stadium, Jesse will attest because he went there, those folks are so aware that they're part of the show and they are so aware that they have an active role in participating to create an environment. It's almost like they have a role like they're in a movie and they acquiesce. Look at that. Talk about picturesque. That's real life. That's not in a studio. That actually exists. Uh, you know where you don't see that? You don't really see that on Sundays because there are no environments like that anywhere other than college football. So that was week three. That was the whiteout. That was an incredible experience. We move on. October 9th, another first for me. The Red River Shootout in Dallas, noon kickoff. This is Caleb Williams taking over for Spencer Rattler, throwing it downfield. Marvin Mims is there. This is Oklahoma en route to erasing a three-possession deficit, and they're going to go on to win the Red River Shootout. Look at the celebration there. And you notice what else is beautiful? Aside from all the artillery there, what's beautiful is that blue sky. We're not playing under artificial light. We're playing under God's light. You know what else is beautiful? Look around. Do you see any luxury suites? Look at the Cotton Bowl. Where are all the luxury suites? They're not there. What an incredible environment. And Oklahoma, again, goes on to win in dramatic come-from-behind fashion. Xavier Worthy for Texas had another iJosh Video of the Year nominee right after that. Look at it. We're rolling it right now. So Texas, they're getting blanked until true freshman Xavier Worthy steps up. He went off in this game. And I think over 250 yards receiving. That's a true freshman. He's coming back this year, folks. And so we had two of them right there from the Red River Shootout. Uh, that was a very memorable day. This right here, I think, was the best regular season game I saw this year. Again, the beauty of college football being doesn't always have to have playoff ramifications. Neither of these teams ended up making the playoff. Doesn't change the fact that it had two iJosh Video of the Year nominees. Then we go to Knoxville. This one's fun. A lot of you thought this was going to win. We'll see if it won in just a second. Lane Kiffin, after a surreal, bizarre, incredible game, they end up beating Tennessee do the Ole Miss Rebels in Neyland. Watch for the bottle throw. Watch for the bottle throw. Boom. Debris raining down on Lane Kiffin. And like Odell Beckham before him, he one-handed the bottle. Beckham did it with a football. Lane Kiffin did it. And then he chucks the visor, for good measure, into the stands. This is called heel tactics. To go back to pro wrestling for a second, this is how you carry yourself as a heel. You don't fight it. You don't try and make people like you. You wave to them. You catch the bottle as only a heel would do. That is Kurt Henning style, Mr. Perfect execution. And then 
as they're yelling every form of profanity and obscenity at you, trust me, I was down there, I could hear it. You chuck them the visor, and then you throw up the deuces, and you leave. That was a memorable night for a lot of wrong reasons, but also a memorable night because a classic iJosh Video of the Year nominee was born from it. Then we're getting a little bit later into October. Let's go to October 30th. This is Michigan State beating Michigan. This actually ended up becoming a painting. Someone in or around East Lansing took Mark D'Antonio, who is the former Michigan State coach. He's just on the field there. He's watching the Spartans celebrate after they beat in-state rival Michigan. Look at him, keeping his distance. He is about 20, I would say 15 or 20 yards away from the majority of the players. Hands in the pockets there, windbreaker on. It was like 35 degrees that day, rainy, misty, and he's just watching the players. That is a great image. Again, so much so that it got turned into a painting. This was very memorable because, again, he didn't try and make himself the focal point of anything. He's standing off in the distance. Mel Tucker, all the players are celebrating. Going to have another video from this one in a second. But that image right there, that got turned into a painting. Mark D'Antonio in East Lansing as they take down Michigan. We had a second one. Within minutes of this video being shot, we had another iDrosh Video of the Year nominee, and it's Paul Bunyan. Not only the trophy coming home to East Lansing, but with the Spartan helmet on. And so when you're in a situation like this, you just hold up the phone and you just follow the players because they're headed towards the student section. Again, I want you to look at the level of celebration and I want you to remember this is not a playoff game. This is not January. This is not some nameless, lifeless NFL venue a thousand miles away. That's East Lansing, Michigan. That's a Saturday afternoon in the fall. And when I tell you Saturday afternoons in the fall are what this sport is all about, Look at that band, look at those students, look at those players, look at that wooden trophy, look at the helmet on it. That's what it's about. Uh, that's why I never support any kind of model that would dampen any of this whatsoever. Two classic moments there, just from one game. We're not done. November 6th, what a change in the weather this was. From those conditions to 70 and sunny in College Station, this is Auburn at Texas A&M. The date was November 6th. Chamber of Commerce weather there in College Station. This is a view that a lot of you don't get to see, but since we do, I try and capture it. It is a very dizzying scene because it's during the Aggie War Hymn, normally happening during commercial breaks, so you don't get to see it on TV. Uh, that is about 105 to 110,000 people swaying to the left and right, arm in arm. And if you were to look up at it from the field, it makes you very, very dizzy. Some people would get sick looking at that. It would give you motion sickness and everyone is chanting the same thing. Now, again, from the outside, rival fans look at this, and they would label this cult behavior. Aggie fans would say, if you're not in it, it won't make sense to you, but once you're in it, you can't imagine any other way. This was a classic afternoon, because again, the weather was great, got a little late season, base tan, but also a, a home game in College Station, a home game at Kyle Field, I still think, is the most underrated experience in college football because when people talk about the best home environments, a lot of them skip over Kyle Field, and they shouldn't look at that place. That's insanity. It's just a random Saturday in the fall. We'll come back to that one in just a second. We move on to November 13th. We're in Waco, Texas. Blown tire and all the day before. We're in Waco. This is Dennis Dodd and I doing post-game work on CBS. And the reason why I mentioned that we're doing work for CBS is because the fine folks over at Fox Sports took it upon themselves to take the pregame set, you know, the one the likes of Brady Quinn would be sitting on, 
and they just bombed us back there. And if it's not intentional, it should have been. Look at that, and I see every bit of it. I got my eyes cut over there, but being the industry professional that I am, I don't break character. And believe me, if I'm wearing a polo, I'm in character, because you see how I dress when I get to choose my own wardrobe. That was another great day because that was Baylor upsetting Oklahoma. It was another field storming. That was the, our, th our third field storming of the year. Notice the blue skies. Notice the fact that the game's already over and it's 3.30 in the afternoon. Love. What I love about Fox is the afternoon kickoffs, the noon kickoffs. What I love less about Fox, but still, no ill will. But, you know, there are other times that you could push your stage down the uh, sideline. Doesn't have to be in a five-minute postgame hit. Luckily, it did end up producing an iJosh Video of the Year nominee and copious shout-outs to a network that I don't work for. Moving right along, two more here. Oh, it gets serious in a hurry. November 27th, Cade McNamara looks downfield to Cornelius Johnson. Michigan, the catch inside the five-yard line, sets up a first and goal. Michigan's going to punch it in. Michigan's going to go on to beat Ohio State, but that's not what makes this a Video of the Year nominee. It's a snow throw. Cornelius Johnson hits the ground at the three. He slides about 10 yards into the end zone. That is a classic snow throw situation. Now, the same time this was happening, Jesse's Penn State Nittany Lions were up the road in East Lansing, and it was a pure white out there. We got the front end of the snow when we were in Ann Arbor. They got inundated with it in East Lansing. But this was where I was at. And so this is a video of the year nominee, because how many times do you have to watch a guy slide 10 to 15 yards after a catch for it to get old? Answer. There is no limit. That's Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls. The limit does not exist. That was a beautiful situation there. So that was one video from that afternoon. But then at halftime, what happened? What happened is I get up the tunnel early, A, because I'm freezing, B, because I know there's food up there, and C, because there is a shared tunnel at Michigan Stadium. Kind of like the Cotton Bowl with OU in Texas. Now, nothing happened at OU Texas, but I always know in these older stadiums, if we're sharing the same tunnel, then that means both teams have to walk up the same tunnel. And if both teams are walking up the same tunnel and they hate each other at a cellular level, it always means there's a chance that something could happen. So I went up the tunnel early and here come the teams and I got the eye josh there in one hand. I think I had a hot dog in the other hand. Never put the hot dog down, by the way. But Ohio State came up the tunnel first and then Michigan comes up the tunnel and this breaks out. So again, your boy, hot dog in the left hand, I Josh in the right hand. I just hit record and I rolled on it and we got somebody going Stone Cold Steve Austin, double bird there. And we've got staffers in the middle. What is great and poignant about this moment as these two teams border on fisticuffs, as Meemaw would say in the, in the tunnel outside the locker rooms as the refs are blowing the whistles. You know, oh, the, the shame of it all that those guys didn't break it up once the whistles got blown. No flags were thrown in the tunnel. But here's what was great about it. I just mentioned Fox a second ago. This is another Fox game. They had to hit your boy up for the footage because they didn't have a camera up the tunnel. I was happy to oblige. I didn't charge them. Like in storm chasing a lot of times when we shoot video of tornadoes and all the news agencies ask for the footage and people say, make them pay you. I'm good. I'm good. As you can tell, I live well within my means. I don't need 50 bucks for a video. So we gave the video to Fox and every other person who asked for it. But, um, this was not seen on TV. See, you guys are at break. You guys are watching studio halftime coverage or you're making yourself a sandwich or you're watching another game. This is why you always position yourself up those shared tunnels. Look at that. Both of those teams in that tight 
confined space. And remember, after this happened, I stopped rolling, but Harbaugh got into it pretty animated with one of the officials because he was trying to talk about how oh, it was a 50-50 deal. It was both teams. And Harbaugh saying, no, it wasn't. They're not even in their locker room when they're supposed to be. I wish I would have shot that. I didn't. So those are the 11 iJosh Video of the Year finalists. Now, if you're just watching on YouTube, what would you guess? What would you vote for as being the video of the year there? Because I put it up to you guys. I put it up to a vote. I have my choice, and my choice is not the choice that won. So just like the theme music on this show, my wishes were not granted because your wishes were, it went, you just went another direction. I don't know what else to say. I didn't expect you to go the direction you went. The winner of the iJosh Video of the Year was the game from November 6th. It was Auburn at Texas A&M. It's nothing complex. It's as simple as the Aggie wore him, and it's as simple as this scene. Colin, you can full screen it and turn the volume up for a second if you want to. Look at that sea of humanity, though. Now, I know that upset some of you because you saw the borderline fight in the tunnel. You saw Lane Kiffin one hand the uh, Dasani bottle, maybe Aquafina. I don't know. I don't want to play favorites. But that's what won. And you know why it won? Because Texas A&M fans in some ways resemble a social media army. And when they set their minds to doing something like winning an iJosh video of the year poll, they do it. And so congratulations, Gigum, our folks out in College Station and beyond Texas A&M, the video of the year. I would send you a chalice of supremacy. I don't really know that Jimbo wants it right now. And I, don't, I don't know any one of you well enough. Well, I do know a few of you. I don't know which one of you I would send the chalice to. But congratulations, Texas A&M. That was a really, really fun deal. Uh, we will only enhance that experience this upcoming year. All right, a couple of things that I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to a couple of Q&As, question and answer, uh, before we get out of here. So we had two questions. And the first one was about Arizona State. And I didn't touch on this the other night. So we do need to get back to this. All right, so here's the question. Uh, the question from Greg said, will Coach Herm Edwards survive everything happening at Arizona State? Some of you may not be paying attention to what's happening out there. Remember going into the year, there was that big NCAA scandal that broke, and it looked for all the world like it was just a matter of time before that entire staff was out of there. They were, they were doing all kinds of things during the COVID dead period that you weren't supposed to be doing reportedly reportedly, investigations ongoing. Well, since then, a football season has passed and there's been a lot of turnover, but Herm Edwards, as you see on the screen there, he is still, as of the moment, the head coach at Arizona State. Well, something kind of weird happened the other day out in Phoenix, and that is Arizona State President Michael Crow goes on, uh, I want to get it right, 98.7 FM out in Phoenix. And he did something that is, well, it's taboo, uh, because of an investigation still going on, he made public comments during an investigation. And so here was his quote. Again, this is not, this is not a looky-loo. You know, this is not a streetwalker. This is the president of the university doing an, during an ongoing investigation. Michael Crow had this to say on 98.7. We got this group of people that decided not to play by the rules relative to recruiting, so we'll be looking at how we can make improvements and so forth and so on caveat this. I've got something to say about this. He continues, Coach Edwards is responsible for the actions of all his people, but these are not things that he asked them to do. These are not things that he was a part of, 
So we're looking at everything possible. As I was reading that, I felt like I was doing an impression of Bill Clements, former governor of Texas, during the uh, 30 for 30 Pony Excess documentary. We got this group of people that decided not to play by the rules, or as he would call it, monkey business back in the day. But this was the president of the university here who went on the record, as I said, during an ongoing investigation. Uh, that's why that's surprising. But also, here's why it's surprising in another vein. Reportedly, and when I say reportedly, I mean multiple very reputable people close to the situation have reported Herm Edwards was not a bystander. According to reports, he met directly, face to face, me and you in the same room with these kids during that dead period. So not only were some of his staffers facilitating it, they were facilitating it in a sense that they said, come here, coach is ready for you. Coach, here he is. This is Jimmy, four star from, uh, from Tempe here. You want to meet him? Yeah, shake hands. We talk. That is, um, that's a little bit more involved than the old president's letting on. So either those reports are wrong or the president's wrong here. Also, what makes this puzzling, as I said, is the investigation is ongoing and there have been a lot of other dump buttons hit on this staff. So there have been a lot of heads that have already rolled. Herm Edwards, his head has not rolled yet. And the president also said they may be over a year away from the NCAA investigation concluding. His words, I think, were it moves at a glacial pace, which is an entire separate segment. Now, how insane it is, the, the sloth-like speed at which some of these NCAA investigations move. But that's, again, like I said, it's a whole other story. So where I am right now in Arizona State is I, I don't think Herm Edwards will survive this when it's done. I don't know when it's going to be done. They don't know when it's going to be done. NCAA doesn't know when it's going to be done. So the whole theme around this thing is no one really knows anything. It just, as it turns out, ends up being the case that the default is going to be Herm Edwards is keeping his job there, as opposed to believing reports and just going ahead and moving on it. But doesn't sound like they're ready to make any kind of move yet, at least on the head coaching front. So that's the very latest out of Arizona State. We had another question that I wanted to get to right before the end of the show here. Question from Caleb. He said, what are your takeaways from the recent Brian Kelly presser and his new staff? We didn't play any uh, sound from it earlier, but Brian Kelly and members of his staff, they finally met with the media because he's finally got his staff put together. And I, I know that a lot of folks who have given their thoughts on Brian Kelly and LSU They've said, I just don't know if he's going to be a good fit. And as I've told you before, I don't care what accent he talks with. I don't care how much he dances in videos. That's foolishness. It's nonsense. It's so trivial. That's, you know, that's clickbait stuff. That's there for aggregation purposes. It has nothing to do with football. That guy knows how to win. Like it says there on the crossbar. He knows how to win. So where I'm ready to go is I'm ready to go and see how this staff translates. You're looking at a lot of them right now, and you heard from a lot of them down in LSU over the past 24 hours, 48 hours. Fit, I'm not worried about. What I do want to know is how long will it take this roster rebuild? I was listening to Cooper Pategna with uh, Blair Angulo on the 24-7 Sports Recruiting Podcast today, I believe it was, and they were talking about how, you know, this is not a ground-up rebuild, but it is a rebuild. There are some roster deficiencies here, so don't think that this is just come in and plug in the cord and boom, we're ready to go. you got to charge a little bit. So they've already gone about things in the transfer portal in a way that they're tactical with. They brought some kids in that maybe are from Louisiana but didn't initially get LSU offers that now get to come back home. That's strategy, and it's not the worst approach in the world. 
there are some deficiencies here. O-line, linebacker, there's some deficiencies. I'm not going to go down the list. But how quickly can they do that? Simultaneously, how quickly can they really hit the ground running just on the recruiting trail in general, not the portal, but just in high school? Because that goes back to the staff he's hired. He didn't do it within the snap of a finger, but he put together a pretty good staff, and he got guys who, like I said earlier, they have a mix of pro experience, they have a mix of SEC experience, but they also have enough national flavor about that staff. And they got, you know, a guy like Brian Polian was, a, I think, a really integral, he's a hire that everyone at LSU is talking about. If you live in Casper, Wyoming, you're probably not talking about him as much, but he's going to be a very, very important part. He's not going to be a name you hear every day nationally, but Brian Polian is the special teams coordinator, but he's the recruiting coordinator down there. He's a guy who knows how to identify talent. And it was very, very crucial that Brian Kelly got him to come along. While all the headlines were talking about the staffers from Notre Dame that didn't follow Kelly, Polian is a very important name to monitor that uh, did come with him. But it's a really good mixture on the coaching staff. Uh, Jamar Kane, for example, is a guy who was at Oklahoma with Lincoln, Riley, and then went to USC for a second. And the headlines were, well, Lincoln Riley chose USC over LSU. Maybe he did. There is that little, that little um, point of interest there in that Jamar Kane obviously had his choice, and he chose LSU. And so he's down there. They got, a lot of, they got a lot of work to do. I think they have the workers on the staff to do it. So I listen to the press conferences. I don't really ever get much out of press conferences. It's more validation than anything. But I'm excited. I'm excited uh, because whether you set a win-loss bar as a measure of success this year, I'm going to care I'm going to care probably every bit as much about how they're doing off the field as I will how they're doing on the field in 2022. And then moving forward obviously once they get on uh, equal footing with the Bamas and A&Ms of the world, then it's time to go. But I'll tell you what the most important rivalry that the nation won't be talking about a lot is, it's A&M LSU. Bama's not going anywhere. But A&M and LSU recruit the same kids and they're in the same division and they play at the end of the year every year right now. It's already a fierce rivalry. It's underrated nationally, but now ooh, it ramps up a little bit more because everybody wants the same thing in the West. Auburn wants it. Arkansas wants it. Ole Miss, they just won 10 games. They want it. LSU wants it. They just made a change because they didn't have it. Bama's got it. A&M thinks they're well on their way to having it. There aren't enough wins to go around. I didn't even mention the Georgias and Floridas and Tennessees and whatnot in the East. Someone's got to lose. A lot of these folks play each other every year. A&M and LSU are among them. So that one's going to be a really, really hotly contested rivalry to keep your eye on. Brian Kelly, the Brian Kelly era at LSU. Just, it's the reason why we don't say the word offseason. Because you could never have seen that coming two years ago. You can never have seen it coming five months ago. And yet here we are. When we don't take any months off, because the sport never ends. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, make sure you like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel and five-star reviews on the podcast front. That's all we ask. Thank you so much for watching. Have yourselves a great early start to the weekend. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for all of our production executives, I'm Josh Pape. We'll see you Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless. Turns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. 
and Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.